You're listening to the Strategies at Work podcast for January 2013. Today's episode is titled Money, What Is It? When you think about money, what comes to your mind? Some think they don't have enough. Others focus on money as a medium of exchange or as a way to value assets, products, and services. Still others say money is the way to measure success and significance. And for most people, money is the way to measure security in life. The pedestrian assumption is that if one has money, then one has the resources to meet whatever needs might arise. Money is not the definition of success, significance, and security. Money is simply a tool to do the will of God according to the ways of God. This means that money should be used to gain true wealth, which is characterized by obedience, righteousness, and wisdom. Demonstrate through words and actions that the true bottom line is not material wealth, money, but true wealth, alignment with the will and ways of God. As an organization, make wise choices based on gaining true wealth. Help each worker learn how to use money as a tool to do the will of God according to the ways of God. And now Dr. Chester brings us the message titled, Money, What Is It? So again, I want to thank you for the opportunity to talk to you about money. I assume that all of you are interested in that topic, or you wouldn't be here. And most of you probably spend a lot of your time, if not the majority of your time, thinking about money, working to get it, and then um, trying to some way conserve it or use it wisely, I presume. Is that a fair statement? Okay. So let me ask you this. Uh, Do you know who Carlos Slim is? Who knows who Carlos? You know who Carlos Slim is? Who's Carlos Slim? He's the, I think the richest man in the world. Yes, he is the. He is, according to Forbes, he is the richest man in the world. Uh, do you recall the number? Bigger than what I <laughs> Well, yes, it is bigger than what any of us have. We could even put all, all our money together. The number, the last number I, I saw was something like seventy-two billion. Was what he was worth. Bill Gates is now in second place, Buffett's in third place. So you look at those guys and you ask yourself a question. Are those guys a success? Are they a success? They're a success at making money? Okay. But we would we would view them largely as successful, would we not? Because they have money, which tells us what our definition of success is. Success is denominated in terms of dollars. Now, let me ask you another question. Was Jesus a success? He was. But Jesus died broke, living off the charity of women. How can he be a success? Impact on people's lives. He did what he was made to do. Okay. Usually at this point, somebody will stand up and say, well, he operated under different definitions. Well, no, he didn't. He operated under the same definitions that we did. We do. If success is denominated in dollars, Jesus was not a success. So we have to, if we want to believe that Jesus was the success, we have to come up with a different definition. And we have to submit everyone to that definition. Would you agree? Okay. And I think John mentioned it quite well. 
Jesus was the success not because of money, but because of obedience. John 17.4 gives us what I believe is the, the, the supreme definition of success. Success is this. Jesus said when he was speaking in his high priestly prayer, Father, I brought you glory on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. You see, his obedience to the will and the ways of God was what made him a success. It was not his financial success. It was alignment with the will and ways of God. Now let me ask you another question. Um, Do you believe that at some point you will stand before the Lord and give an account for your life? You believe that? Well, if you're going to stand before the Lord and give an account for your life, then what will he value? What will be important to him? Okay, well, he's going to be looking for a return on his investment in you. So how is he going to denominate that return? Certainly that would be one one of the things. Lives he affected, but what else? Are you stewarded what he gave you? What else? Were you obedient to what he did? Were you obedient to what he calls you to do, what he puts you here to do? Yes? Anybody think money's going to be big, important? So if you die and you have massive amounts of assets and you stand before the Lord and said, Look at my bank account when I died, what is he going to say to that? The Proverbs say this, wealth, referring to monetary wealth, is worthless in the day of wrath, referring to the judgment day. But righteousness delivers from death. So righteousness clearly is of superior value, ultimately, to money. Would you agree with that? That's what Scripture says. So if you bend the knee to Scripture... If it's your authority, then you will agree with that. Let me ask you another question. As you can tell, I'm full of questions. If you have money, do you think that you're secure? You're not? Are you you just, are you playing with me or are you being real? There are a whole bunch of people. There are a whole bunch of people that think if they have money, they're secure. Do you know anybody like that? Yeah, most of us think that way. We may not want to admit it, but we do. So we denominate security and success in terms of money, by and large, although we intellectually know that probably isn't correct. So I want to just I want to just let you get a glimpse of what Jesus thinks about that. In fact, a few years ago, I was invited to uh, to speak to a, an investment banking group. And this group, um, they have a lunch luncheon about once a month, and the senior partners get together, and they invite a speaker to come in and talk to them. And they pride themselves on operating their businesses based on a biblical worldview. 
So I, I went in and sat down with them and just said, okay, what do you guys want to talk about? And uh, I said, we can talk about anything you want. We can talk about retirement, investments, money. What do you want to talk about? So they picked money. And so I posed this question to them. If you have money, do you think you really don't have any needs? And they all looked at me and said, yeah, we think if we have money, you really don't have many needs. Because your money can take care of those needs. I said, is that what your clients think? They said, yeah, pretty much. That's what they think. I said, may I read you a text? Of course, then they knew they had been set up. Okay, so I'm going to read you the text that I read to them and have a similar conversation with you that I had with them. And um, this is out of Revelation chapter 3. This is the, uh, the seventh of seven letters to the churches in Asia that the Apostle John writes. It's somewhat, I think, a picture of the reality of the Christian church, you know, even today. So he writes, To the angel of the church in Laodicea write, These are the words of the Amen. The faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. Now this is Christ talking here. I know your deeds. And by the word, this word deeds here is the word ergon in the Greek language. That word means work. Ergon is used to refer to all kinds of work activity, like we would use work to refer to all kinds of work activity. So they use the word ergon. So I know your work. In other words, I know what you're doing in the workplace. I know what you're doing in the home. I know what you're doing in your churches. I know what you're doing in your public policy. I know what you're doing in your schools. I'm watching all of it. I know what you're doing in your, the privacy of your home. These, these are all things that would be characterized by ergon. Says, I know all of that. I'm very aware. Isn't it nice to know there are no secrets before the Lord? He says, I know your work. He says that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. Now, many of you are coffee drinkers, aren't you? Does anybody here like lukewarm coffee? No, you don't. Some of you might like cold coffee. Probably most of you like hot coffee. But nobody likes lukewarm coffee. So he's using a beverage metaphor here to make a point. He's not happy with them. He's very unhappy with them. So the question is, why? Why is he unhappy with them? Well, I'm going to just read on. So because you're lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. And here's why he's unhappy. You say, I am rich. I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing. You see, he pointed out to them, you guys assume that money is the solution to the issues of life. Money defines success. Money gives you security. Money meets needs. So that's how you're viewing money. Now, if we're brutally honest, all of us on some level believe that. Now, some of us have more understanding that that's not true than others. But deep down, we think we're okay if we have money. Now, how many of you had a situation where all of a sudden you had a big obligation you had no money? Anybody had that? That's a bit scary, isn't it? It's, an, it's, it's really a reality check. It gets your attention. And, it, and many times you get into fear. Some people get paralyzed. I remember back in the 80s when we had the real estate collapse, I had, I had a friend commit suicide. 
That was a very hard thing to deal with. He was a very good friend of mine. He was an architect. He had been used to the, the boom days of the early to mid-80s, and then when all of a sudden all that shut down and he couldn't get any business, he just went into total depression. I was supposed to have lunch with him the day of his funeral. It was on my calendar to have lunch with him that day. Instead, I'm attending his funeral. It's a very, very startling thing. And I, I saw indications of his depression because I talked to him about, about four days before we were supposed to have lunch, literally the day before he committed suicide. And I could tell he was very down. But he told me that day he was going to go ahead and, you know, you know, up, you know, uh, basically he had to renew his architecture, architectural license, and so he was uh, he was getting that done, and and then he was going to go to East Texas and, you know, relax for a few days. He had a he had a cabin out there. Well, while he was out there, he shot himself. Now he this was premeditated because he left a note on the door that said law enforcement only. And inside, he had, he had shot himself through the mouth. Now, that's a hard thing. Now, why did he do that? On some level, it's because he, had, he saw no money coming in. And therefore, if he had no money, he could not meet his needs. Money was his security. Money was the key to success for him. Even though he professed to know the Lord. So on some level, what was in him is in every one of us. And all you have to do is have the Lord orchestrate a situation where you don't have the resources to meet your needs. And you'll find out how deeply this is in you. Well, if, you're, if you give me that this is in all of us on some level, let's see what Christ has to say about this perspective. He says then, but you do not realize... You know, when Jesus says that, that means we're deceived. If he says to you, you do not realize, that means you don't get it. You don't understand. He said, let me tell you your true state. He's talking to wealthy people. Now, can you imagine Jesus, Jesus having Warren Buffett and Bill Gates and Carlos Slim and some of the wealthiest people in the world in a room like this? And he says to them, but you do not realize your money is deception. Here's your real state. You are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. Now that's pretty startling, isn't it? You know the word wretched. You know what a wretched person is? Somebody who's highly dysfunctional. What's a pitiful person? Somebody a really bad place, a bad state. Things are really gone haywire. And poor. Wait a minute, how do you tell Carlos Slim he's poor? Because <clears throat> he doesn't understand what true riches are. Blind? How do you tell Warren Buffett, the dean of all investors, he's blind? How many of you here invest with Warren Buffett? None of you do? Really? That's amazing. Usually there's always a handful of people that invest in one of his funds. Or maybe you've read his books. He's got a new book that just came out. Everybody's going to read that as if this is going to be gold. Wisdom. Great, great wisdom here. Well, Jesus has an opinion on that. He says he's blind. 
And naked? Naked means, naked is a reminder of the garden. When Adam and Eve sinned, they realized they were naked. Before God, they had nothing to cover them. And so this is the description that Jesus gives of anyone who thinks that wealth is security and success. You say, wow. So it raises the question, what is wealth? What is wealth? What is, what is a, a dollar bill? What's a bar of gold? What is this? What is it to own a piece of property, to own stock at a company? What is this? Well, let me offer a suggestion to you as to what the way to properly true it, to view that. You don't view that as security. You don't view that as success. You view it as a tool. It's a tool to do one thing and one thing alone, and that is the will of God. If you truly are a believer in Jesus Christ, if he is your Lord and Savior, then he is your master. And your job as his servant is to do his will according to his ways. So whatever tools he gives you are what you use to do his will according to his ways. So money is a tool. Time is a tool. Talent is a tool. Opportunities are tools. Relationship are tools. All of these things are tools. Now, it's hard for us to get there with this. And so a little illustration that kind of helps me think about this is suppose that you have a garage full of screwdrivers. Now, do you feel rich? <coughs> hmm? Not probably not. What if you have a garage full of $100 bills? Suppose you have Deion Sanders' 13-car garage full of $100 bills. Yeah, you'd probably feel rich, wouldn't you? Well, that just illustrates that we're not thinking about money correctly. Money is simply a tool to do the will of God. Now, there's some that say, well, you know, I tithe. So I give God his 10%, the other 90% is mine. Well, if Jesus Christ is Lord, it all belongs to him. We are just his servants. So he owns 100%. That means our job as his servants is to ask the master what he wants to do with his resources. Can we go there? Where it's not up to you? It's not about you and what you want to do and how you want to spend the money? It's what God wants to do with the resources he's entrusted to you, his servant. So the first thing you have to do with money is what? Let me help you out here. I was speaking at a church up in Frisco a couple of years ago, speaking on money. And um, I asked this question of the audience. I said, suppose that, that God drops $100 million in your bank account today no strings attached. It's yours. What will you do? And immediately a lady yelled out of the audience, go to Neiman's. <laughs> well, I think she probably was speaking very prophetically of how we all think. If you had $100 million in your bank account, tax-free, no strings attached, what would you do? There you go. That's what you should do. Most of us are thinking about, well, gee, I've been wanting to buy that home in the Bahamas. How about that, how about that Learjet? 
Or, you know, forget working. I'm not going to go. You know, recently we had a lottery winner, and the lady that figured out that she had won, you know that the next day she had a job interview and she didn't show up. (laughs) She was unemployed, and she won the lottery, and she had this job interview herself the next day, and she just didn't show up. Which shows you where she was with money. Money was just a tool for her, you know, to do what she wanted to do. She had no sense that that money was a tool to do the will of God. So this is the challenge. To begin to think biblically about money is very difficult, particularly in a culture that does not. I hope you get it. that This culture does not think biblically about money. And we're in it. And you can't live in this culture and not be influenced and affected by the culture. It's kind of like swimming in the ocean. You ever swim in the ocean? What happens when you swim in the ocean? You swallow the water, don't you? At least it happened to me. Can any of y'all swim in the ocean and not swallow the water? I, I never could. It's, uh, it's nasty stuff. But the reality is you're in that culture. You're in the environment of the water. You can't help but swallow some of the water. That's going to happen to us. As righteous as you may think you are, you're going to drink some of the water of the culture. And the culture is about the worship of money. Success, significance, security is defined in terms of dollars in our culture. So for us to think biblically and to live biblically, we've got to really fight that and be aware of that and begin to really radically think about money as a tool to do the will of God. So may the Lord give us all grace to begin to do that, starting right now with how we view money personally, in our businesses, in our investments, in our churches. How about in our public policy? We need a biblical view of money to steward it well and to live righteously before the Lord. So may we have grace to do that in Jesus' name.